The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Rev. Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you're listening live, you're welcome to join the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us anytime during the show at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555, and we'd love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So today's show is titled Terminal Uniqueness, A Fatal Flaw. So, you know, on one hand, we're told that we're unique and special that we're individualized expressions of God. You know, that's what we say in in unity. And then you go into a 12-step meeting, perhaps, and you may be told that as an addict, we've got a big ego and we got to get over ourselves and quit playing God. And so that kind of begs the question, who are we really? And how do we become right-sized? How do we honor who we are? So today we want to talk about what worked for us in balancing individual uniqueness with humility and service. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of discovering our, quote, terminal uniqueness, and then talk about the tools we can use to counter it, to balance it. After the break, we'll share exactly how we use those tools to create a life of confident serenity. So, Lonnie, when you think back or when you look around, what do you see, what do you remember about this whole terminal uniqueness thing? You know, what does that mean? Well, you know, I didn't know what it meant whenever somebody first referred to me that way. It was one of those things that I knew it wasn't a compliment, so I wasn't really sure, though, how to take it. And, and you know, it was explained to me that terminal meant that if I continue in this line of thought or behavior, it's going to kill me. And unique uh, meant that I'm not like you. And so if I continue in this in this line of thought that I am not like you, I am different, that that has the potential to set my life in, in or continue my life in a wrong direction. It's something that could be harmful to me. It is confusing because 
there's so much of our society, especially in the West, I think especially in the United States, you know, we, we are special. We, we could be, everyone can be president. You know, there, there's this idea we, we almost worship the individual. You know, we, we hold in very high regard individuals uh, who have gone on to great things, great discoveries, whatever it might be, famous people, wealthy people, athletes, actors, actresses, people in technology. You know, that's the new with all the what the Bill Gates is and Michael Dell and um, Steve Jobs and all of that. And so I also have found it, uh, it's it sort of, it seems like it's contrary. And I had that same experience as you. It was something I heard. I'm like, whatever, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really know quite what that means, but that's okay. I got a lot of other things in front of me. That's a least that that's a least of my concerns that I'm not sure exactly what people mean by terminal uniqueness. I do know, you know, in a nutshell, and this came up a lot o- over the years that it, it means that the rules don't apply to me. The rules don't apply to me. Rules are for other people who aren't as smart as I am to know the real reasons that we do and don't do things. They don't apply to me. That's a great point. You know, how, how do we know that we're practicing this terminal uniqueness? I found there was a lot of it in my thinking patterns. You know, well, I don't have to do that. Well, I can park here. I know it says no parking, but, you know, I'm just going to run in. It's only going to be five minutes. You know, the rationalization and justification that uh, works overdrive in people like me, you know, it just kicks in full gear. It's it's not about me. It's not about me. It doesn't apply to me. It isn't, it isn't something I have to pay any attention to. I deserve special treatment because I'm special and unique, you know, and, and my addiction is different. I wasn't like yours. You know, they told me when I walked in the room to stop identifying with how I'm different than you and start identifying with how I am like you. You know, I, I uh, had a really difficult time uh, identifying on some levels because I didn't do the things that I heard people saying around the table. You know, I didn't burn a house down. I didn't wreck a car. I didn't go to jail, etc. And so I'm identifying when I'm in this thinking pattern, I'm identifying only on a strictly physical material level. And that's how I compare myself and how my ego tells me I'm better than you. Yeah, again, this is all sort of part of that, almost like a fog that I feel like I mention every time we get together, which is that I didn't know. I didn't know all this was going on. I mean, one of the gifts of a recovery program is perspective. And with the perspective I have now, you know, years after uh, getting onto this recovery path, I, I see a lot of things that I didn't see before, and a lot of it was confusing. And maybe I even thought I knew what this or what that meant, uh, only to experience it changing, you know, over time. That I have that same thing about um, feeling entitled. Like it's it's almost that phrase. Well, why should I have to blah blah fill in the blank? It's a very teenager kind of energy. You know, I think that's a bit of a clue that that some of us can, you know, we can kind of get stuck in our emotional development at different points. And that that thing that says, how come I, why do I have to do this, uh, is a very much a teenager energy. I can tell you that having teenagers uh, in, in the house. And I, you know, that that was part of my experience of what I learned was terminal uniqueness. You know, another aspect for me was this uh, resistance that comes up, the I know best. 
it, my my way is the right way. My idea is the better idea. Let's do it my way. And and I find that showing up when we talk in the program about honest, open-minded, and willing. I can be honest, sort of, about what's going on, but am I open-minded? Mm, no, not going to work. Not doing that. I don't have to. You can't make me. You know. And and so this resistance that shows up, um, you know, which which um, stops things in its track is is another symptom that I'm operating out of this terminal uniqueness. Yeah, that um, another thing, and this I might found, have found most troubling, is that that sense of, so I'm just, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to say it. Uh, it's this weird conflict, almost two opposite things that coexist of somehow feeling like I'm, I'm special, like I'm better than other people, but at the same time, all feeling less than, you know, most of the time. So that, you know, that it, it seemed like it was a black and white kind of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm either feeling like I'm better than the people I'm observing, or I'm feeling like I'm way below them. Uh, you know, it's a very much an, of an out of balance situation. And we talk about that a lot about uh, the whole recovery process as a process of coming back into balance. And so, um, you know, and that, that black and white way of seeing that I'm describing is based on comparing, right? So comparing, I have learned, is always a very dangerous thing to be doing. And I even had a sponsor that says, as, as soon as you begin to compare, you've already lost. There is no way to, quote, win when I'm comparing myself to others. I'm either going to come out below or above, and it's all a creation of my mind Anyway, so it's best to just stay away from it. You know, and that that um, I've heard that described as being an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. <laughs> I love that. That's you exactly know, it. because our inferiority complex drives us to to try to be as good as, and in the in the meanwhile, our ego, the energy behind it, just you know kicks it into overdrive, and and we step on the toes of others, and we create all kinds of problems in our lives. You know, and, and uh, you know, I'm glad you mentioned about the comparing because um, I heard that a lot. And, and one of the ways that I know that I'm falling into this trap is one-upping somebody else, listening to somebody's story, and I'm, and I'm listening to respond with, well, what have I got that's like it? Oh, man, if you think that's bad, listen to this, mm -hmm. you know, and you hear that around the tables all the time, which then for me was even um, when I wasn't participating in that, it turned me off because I'm going, well, I didn't do any of that. So I can't be an addict. I can't be alcoholic, you know, and it fed my denial to hear that kind of, of uh, banter going on, you know. And so this, this uh, seeking attention through trying to be better than somebody else was really a, a no-win trap. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it still is. And, you know, habits of mind – uh, at the level I think that we're pointing at, um, tend to stick around for a long time. So I can still find my mind wanting to go down that road. And fortunately, I'm, you know, I, I'm very quick in general to catch it now because you can, I can feel it happening. You know, I, I can feel where that's going. And then I can step back and say, hey, hang on, what's going on here? Uh, wh why, why is this sort of sinking feeling creeping in? Am I, am I feeling, uh, you know, threatened? Is, is there something going on that has me, um, you know, that's making me anxious or whatever? Why don't I look at that instead of, uh, comparing 
to others around me. But, you know, the, the tendency is uh, still a little bit in place. It's like, you know, it's like if, if we, even if we had in the past a problem with anger, okay, there's nothing inherently wrong with anger. It's the degree to which we experience and or use it. So it's not inappropriate to become angry if something happens. The, the thing is, do, can I avoid staying angry? Is my anger appropriate to the situation? It's kind of like that. Well, and, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. The, uh, what what I hear you describing is very much one of our powers. It's a power of judgment, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to say, is this safe? Is this not safe? Is this good for me? Is this not good for me? Is this good? Is this bad? And not in a way that we label somebody else, but in a way for our own survival skill. But we, at least I, had taken that way into overdrive and that comparing then is that power of judgment. I'm, I've got a great power of judgment. What I don't have is a great power of sorting it out what my conclusions are, you know, I can, I can make lists all day long of what's good and what's bad, but is that an accurate evaluation? I don't know. You know, and so this is dangerous. How is this terminal for me? You know, it's dangerous because it puts me in denial about what I'm doing and I can ignore the consequences of my behavior. Well, that's not going to happen to me. I can have a beer and and drive. That's not going to be a problem. I'm not going to get in a wreck. How many times did I do that? I never got in a wreck. So it reinforces that belief. You know, and and so it causes us to ignore consequences of behavior when you're when we're blinded by this type of thinking. Yeah, even those things, uh, you know, that 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 same line of thinking has occurred to me, uh, and I think, you know, well, what if what if there's only like one in a thousand chance that something would happen? Well, about three years later, it's probably going to happen sometime in that. One in a thousand is not rare enough when we're talking about addiction and recovery, right? We, we have a principle that says we need some, some kind of bedrock, if you will, to build a worldview on that cannot be assailed. You know, that, that's not one, doesn't work 999 times out of a thousand. It works a million times out of a million period end of story. Because at some point, for whatever reason, like the weather, all the conditions and the stars are going to line up and that one place where we're weak is going to show up at some point or other. So now that we know about this challenge of this, this feeling and thinking of being terminally unique, what's the solution? In unity, we affirm that our life experience is driven by spiritual principles, and this this situation is no exception. And these spiritual principles can be expressed in a variety of ways. For example, the Unity 12th Powers Framework is a collection of spiritual principles, as are the principles underlying each of the 12 steps in a 12-step program. And so the principles that we can use to counter terminal uniqueness are anonymity, humility, and service. And so that's what we want to focus on today. But first, we kind of got to know what those terms mean. They seem unrelated at first glance, but as we will suggest in truth, they're all linked in a very important way. So Dan, how do we get out of this trap of terminal uniqueness, this thinking pattern? And and how are these various spiritual principles of anonymity, humility, and service related? How do you employ these? How do you, what tools do you use? Those are some big questions. I'm, I'm going to have to take just, how, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, right? Not that I want to eat an elephant. But uh, l- let me speak for a minute about anonymity because that's something that um, my understanding, my relationship with that 
principle of anonymity. I would say concept, but I think principle is more accurate. Uh, you know, developed over time. Um, I know that it began, uh, like I I believe so many of us do, uh, because nobody nobody aspires to be an addict or an alcoholic whose life becomes unmanageable. You know, nobody, nobody was born thinking, you know what I want to do? I want to run, run my life such that I have to join a 12 step program in order to stay alive, you know, in my whatever, twenties, thirties, forties, whatever it is that we come in. And so anonymity began simply meaning that I don't want anyone to know I'm here. Right. I'm, I'm really glad that we have this principle of anonymity because that means I'm thinking to myself because that means uh, that no one will know that I'm here. Right. It's almost like invisibility in that way, based entirely on, you know, feeling embarrassed, basically, about mm-hmm. finding myself in in a program like, um, uh, you know, like an addiction recovery program. Yeah, and that's that's one of the first things that I heard was anonymity, and I thought that it meant don't talk about who's here. You know, basically, it's nobody's business, and that was um, a that was a difficult thing to do. How do I share about my life without talking about other people and who's there and who said what and and all of those kind of things? And so, um, coming to understand anonymity, and and I know that uh, we've talked you and I before about how many layers there can be to that as a principle. Um, it finally ultimately came to mean to me that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who said it. It doesn't matter who did it. It doesn't matter who gets the credit for it, you know, and um, and there's lots of aspects to that, but it, it, it doesn't matter. Instead of my ego seeking attention for it, hey, look at me, look at me, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it is. I have found it to be layered, and, and now that I, I listen to what you're sharing and, and consider, um, I, I see that anonymity is kind of the doorway. When we, when we talk about anonymity, humility, and service and how those are the keys to um, kind of deconstructing our terminal uniqueness that no, is no longer serving us, um, it, it's beginning with anonymity, I think, that allows me to then step into the others. And and like you said, it is layered. And, and after I kind of got through the, I, you know, nobody, I don't want anyone to know I'm here level, it became, oh, I, like, I, I don't tell anyone that you're here either, right? As soon as I could stop thinking about myself for two seconds, I realized, oh, this applies to other people too. And so, yeah, they probably don't want people to know they're here either. So I don't talk about who's here. You know, what what what, what you hear here stays here, that kind of thing. So for me, that was sort of level two anonymity. It went from com- being completely self-centered to applying that self-centeredness to everyone else in the room. <laughs> hey, man, that's progress. Yeah, absolutely. I, I identify with that journey. I did the same thing. You know, and, and I, it was pointed out I had an excellent sponsor. Um, I've had several excellent sponsors in, in the time I've been around. And, you know, becoming aware that that's what I'm doing when I walk in the room, that I am looking for how does this benefit me? What is, you know, when I look at anybody or talk to anybody, what what's their relationship? You know, anonymity also meant that I don't know what you do outside of here. I don't know if you're a doctor. I don't know if you're a bum. You know, I don't know if you're a teacher. I don't know if you're a housewife or a, or a, or 
unemployed. It does not matter any of that. You know, I don't know any of those things because what was interesting to watch was the way my mind worked when I was given a piece of information. Oh, they're a lawyer. Oh, everybody goes to them to get out of their traffic tickets. Oh, I wonder, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, so I, it, it started helping me focus on principles when people did not share external things about themselves. You know, we were here for one purpose, and that was recovery, and it did not make a difference as to what they did in their outside lives. Yeah, yeah. Um, the The progression... That's a lot to take in. I might have to stop thinking about that so that I can actually speak. That, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it, it, that is profound. I find that profound. Uh, I found that to be a profound aspect of a recovery program is the le- that whole level playing field kind of thing. And I, and I actually love it. And I think it's critically important. And and I I can you know tie that into humility, which for me anonymity grew into humility over time. So uh, for me, the third layer, you know, after I uh, realize I don't want anyone to know I'm here. Oh, right. You don't want anyone to know you're here. Um, I kind of put the two together and in uh, some some kind of breakthrough realized, oh, this is not about, you know, this is about us. It's not about whether someone knows that I'm here or someone knows that you're here. This is about us being here together, doing the work that that we're showing up to do, that we feel is is good and right for us to do. And so that was the first hint of genuine community. And it came out of um, this concept of anonymity when it went from self to other to now group to community, yeah, yeah, spiritual community, fellowship, what they talk about. You know, and for me, that kind of parallels with this idea of open-mindedness. And that's another principle that we've talked about before, because now I'm I'm be able to engage with a spiritual community in a group in a way where I can hear what's being said. And I can hear the, um, the suggestions that are made, and I can hear the experiences without going, yeah, but I can one-up that. Oh, but I did it better. Oh, I didn't do that. You know, without all this comparison stuff that we were just talking about which then gave me a tool to say, well, maybe it'll work for me. I wonder what would happen if I tried that. You know, so having having the layers of anonymity um, both uh, protect like a cocoon the, the, um, the fellowship, what goes on inside the rooms, as well as like, like a shell around an egg, keep everything, all the extraneous junk out that normally cluttered my mind. It was very helpful for me to begin to open my mind as to new ideas. I'm thinking here about, you know, it's not, I don't often sit and consider, you know, how is this concept related to that concept? I really kind of have to take a breath and, and remember what it was like, you know, how it felt to walk in. I, I, I have a picture in my head of, I can stand in the doorway of the very first meeting I walked into. I could see that room and some of the people, uh, who are in it. Um, but the way I'm, I'm, sort of feeling my way to remembering how is it that anonymity uh, evolved and grew into into humility. And, and sort of the f- fourth and what for me at this moment, the final layer um, is it's kind of what you said uh, right when we started talking about uh, humility, going from, I don't want anyone to know I'm here. I'm not going to tell anyone you're here. Oh, wow, we're all coming together to do this. That morphed into, you know what, this has nothing to do with me whatsoever. 
it has nothing to do with me, which is a really weird statement to make. I don't know that I could explain it. I know that everybody who has experienced that can be nodding their head right now. Oh yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is the it is it's a weird and almost um, you know, spiritual slash mystical experience or realization is that, wow, you know, it's not that I don't matter. I, I do, but this has nothing to do with me. That that's where anonymity went. I can see that. And for me, that ties in parallel with the point at which I began to understand a concept of universal spiritual principles, that it had nothing to do with me, that the spiritual principle was in operation here, and that it um, is what carried us into recovery, not the personalities, not the way I applied it, not the not the way I understood it or whatever, but that there's this greater whole underlying everything that was going on here because we all had a common purpose and we were all pointed in the same direction. You know, and for me, um, the anonymity leads into humility because it, it, it helped me become teachable, you know, and I have a little short story. I'm sure some people have heard this before, but, you know, I was told when I was trying to practice this, I was told to go do three nice things a day for different people and don't tell anybody. And if you get caught, you have to start over, you know, (laughs) Because my my desire was to be known and acknowledged and patted on the head for, oh, look at you, doing good things in the world, you know. And, and I was told to practice not getting found out for doing those things, which made me learn how to practice anonymity and, and put a lid on my ego, basically. I've heard that called, you're, you're a member of the Secret Service. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go down doing things for others. In secret, yes, uh, I, I love that practice. I, I found it also very helpful and fun too. You know, it it becomes a game. It it becomes a, um, I, I don't know what it's. It, in a way, it's sometimes it's fun to have a secret. Like, oh, I know this wonderful thing, and I feel good knowing it. And I, and I don't need to tell anyone. That would almost ruin it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. then it would make it about me again. So the the way I saw anonymity grow or morph into into humility well or let me say it this way humility was an outcome of this process is it's never a goal I, I i don't even know that that would never even work it's counter it's very uh, having the goal of being humble is counter to the to the principle of humility itself you know it's it's like that uh Silly thing I love to say that, um, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a humility competition. I'm going to kick everyone's butt, you know, because I'm, I'm so good at humility. Uh, it's ridiculous like that. But, you know, we find ourselves in modes of thinking that are equally ridiculous. And so and by practicing anonymity and realizing, wow, this really doesn't have anything to do with me, I'll, with that, right underneath that was a sense of the beginning, I'll say, of a sense of humility that's still unfolding. You know, I, I can't claim uh, I can't claim a lot of humility. I just know that it's an outcome of practicing anonymity. And that leads right into our um, break time. So we we come back, we'd love to hear from you to continue the conversation. The phone number is 816-251-3555. And please stay with us.
Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing the um, predominant issue of terminal uniqueness in recovery and specifically the the principles of anonymity and humility, what those things mean and how our awareness around them unfolded over time. So Lonnie, now that we know that the challenge is this terminal uniqueness and the solution is humility through anonymity and service, what happens when we actually practice these things? How, how does it improve our lives? How did you apply these principles? Well, you know, the first thing I had to do, and we've talked about this before, is I had to stop doing <laughs> some things. You know, I had to stop being first in line. I had to stop thinking I knew the best here. I had to stop insisting that I'm right. Uh, you know, I had to um, I had to learn to take suggestions. I had to to learn to be quiet and listen. And, you know, so when doing those things allowed me to develop inside this sheltered spiritual community that we call the fellowship, authentic connections. It let me be real. It let other people be real. We learned that we all have pretty much the same kind of thing going on in our lives, that we all hurt, we all have joys, we all have challenges, and I am not unique in that way. And that was, you know, being able to develop a few uh, sincere, authentic connections really helped immensely. It helped me not feel alone. When I consider how have I been able to use those principles to, you know, increase the, I guess, just the serenity in my life, the first thing that pops to mind is that, you know, the answer to that old joke, how do you get to Carnegie Hall, right? Practice, practice, practice. That's how I did it by constantly, um, I, I guess the best way to say it is being willing to be aware of how I'm showing up, be aware of what is happening in my mind, you know, where am I going with this idea or that, or how am I responding to this situation or that, and, and simply practicing whenever possible a, a different way of doing something. You know, maybe kind of like you're saying, when, when I normally would have spoken up, maybe I sit quietly instead because that's different than what I would have done. And I want to keep, I want to keep paying attention, you know, and honoring the, the person that is maybe who is speaking or that I'm with or whatever, and instead of jumping in and, you know, with a kind of me too sort of response that, that seems so common, um, for me at least, and, and maybe for others early on. So practice, you know, b- being willing to, this is that whole suit up and show up, you know, just being willing to put one foot in front of the other and to constantly be um, seeing opportunities to to show up differently 
and and trying different things to see what it's like? You know, I think the key for me was awareness that I'm in it, in it, that I'm in this terminal uniqueness. I have to be aware of that before I can change anything. And the and the next tool um, that helped me a lot was the pause. You know, to learn to stop, to take a breath, to say a one-word prayer, help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to um, to ask for guidance, to seek um, input. All of those things, you know, are things that I would never do before. I always thought I had the answer. And if I didn't have the answer, I could find the answer. I could look up the answer. I was, you know, uh, charged with doing that in my mind. I, I wouldn't rely on anybody else. And so even just a pause where some of these other kinds of thoughts could come in, well, maybe somebody else knows. Well, maybe I should ask how they did it. Well, maybe I should ask what worked for them. Maybe if I just listen, I'll find out some of these things. You know, that was an immensely helpful tool for me. I love in 12-step communities the service ethic that's there. And and the ways that I saw that happening were, uh, you know, slowly realizing that, wow, you know, everything, everything that happens here is done by a member of this community on a volunteer basis. Uh, And that coupled with, um, you know, being prompted to, uh, participate. Hey, we need we need meeting chairs. It's really easy. You just sit up here like I am, and you just read from the binder. You know, you you just follow. It's all written down right, right in front of you. Like, oh, that's easy. I could probably do that. Uh, and I'm being asked to. So you know, stepping up in small ways, helping out in this way and that. Stay after the meeting to move the chairs so we can sweep the floor because it's the fourth Thursday, and that's the time that we do this for this meeting or whatever it might be. Um, and so being part of the group by helping out, by, by doing things that contribute to the health of the group early on, small little things show up early and make coffee. Even if I'm not the one chairing, you know, chairing could be a two person thing. We'll show up at the same time. Um, you know, you do this and I'll do that, whatever it might be. Uh, so service in a 12-step group is one way that it kind of helps to open the door. We talked about anonymity sort of morphs into the beginnings of humility. Service further supports that growth process, I think. Even if I don't know what's going on, it still works. You know, I had one of the most striking examples of this for me. I remember being asked to make coffee. And I was scared to death that I was going to mess it up. You know, the last thing you do is you want to mess up the coffee for a group of 30 or 40 um, (laughs) alcoholics in a meeting that that's all they drink now. You know, you know, you're going to get ribbed about it. And it was a two pot job. So I was I was getting both pots going at the same time, you know, and getting coordinated. And after a while, I got good at it. And then I got resentful. How come nobody's noticed? How come nobody notices how good I do with this? And the pot's never empty and they always have what they want. And I'm making it just exactly right. And, And when I talked with my sponsor about all of this, she pointed out the way my ego was taking this service job and blowing it into something to make me better than, bigger than, greater than anybody else in the group that did this. You know, and so it was just uh, a perfect illustration long before I knew about how my mind worked, you know, of how does this thing get a hold of something and work? You know, so I found for me that this service is, is critical and I have to keep rotating. I can't get stuck in any one job. It's time for me to move on and learn another job. Yeah, I think that 
I find that to be a critical principle in, in community growth, you know, because you don't, we don't want to identify so strongly with a single, single role that we begin to think it's ours and we own it and we're the ones that do it right. And nobody else can do it because only we, you know, that's not helpful or healthy. What is healthy, like you say, is you rotate around. You chair today, I'll chair tomorrow. Oh, the, the person who was the, um, you know, the, the president or whatever of the, of the group when I came in is just a, a guy sitting in a chair. Now, which is what he was before. I didn't know that. I always think of him as, you know, here's the guy who's in charge because he was the guy who was in charge the first business meeting that I went to. Um, so this this concept of service, I find, like I said, that it supports that um, development process that starts with anonymity, morphs into humility. I found it super helpful to, uh, after you know, being the person showing up doing things for a while, I began to be the person saying, hey, we need someone to go to the detox. Hey, uh, we're going to start serving meals. You know, we're, we want to put together a group that's going to go out in the community. Um, this is in a church setting, not in a 12-step setting, but the, it's the same principle. You know, we're, we're going to put together a group of people to go into the community and we're going to serve meals at, at this or that um, homeless shelter or, or whatever it might be. And we're going to make a commitment that we're going to do that on the, you know, the third Monday of every month. Uh, we're going to show up and serve meals. So becoming a participant, but also becoming a person that's encouraging others to step forward, just like people encouraged me to step forward. So that's another practice, if you will, another way that I found to stay involved in service. That's not, it's not like it's particularly hard. It didn't take a ton of time or anything. It just took the willingness to do it. And, you know, what, an hour a month for planning and then just showing up and doing it with everybody else. It's not like it was a major effort, but it was super helpful to be the person who was encouraging others to serve while serving with them. You know, I had a, a sponsor that um, would just in, invite me to go with her, uh, as in, come on, we're going, you know, because <laughs> I didn't know if, if I, somebody asked me, do I want to do this or go there or share here? I would have said no. You know, I already mentioned the resistance that I had. It's not a good idea. I don't have time. I don't have anything to share. Why would I want to do that? You know, but she just said, come on, we're going. And so we'd go these places and we'd do these things. And one of the things that that kind of service, just showing up and being a part of, did for me was that it helped me forget my discomfort. Mm -hmm. You know, I learned that when I'm uncomfortable in my skin because I'm in a group of people I don't know, I'm in a new situation, a new setting, a new group or whatever, if I find something to do, it helps me with my anxiety and my discomfort around being there. And pretty soon I'm all about doing the service instead of all about me and how uncomfortable I am. And so that helped me immensely gain some, some moments of peace in my life in a time when I just didn't have a whole lot of that going on. You know, this, they called it serenity. Serenity to me seemed to be a longer term thing than a moment of peace. So I was, I was happy to have those moments of peace that I could lose myself in doing something with or for somebody else and forget about how I couldn't hardly stand to be in my own skin. You know, I, 
I've had that experience. That's a great way to share and to uh, ex- explain it. I had it. I'm remembering it in terms of um, what we call taking a, taking a meeting into the detox ward at the hospital. And so we had a guy uh, who I believe was a truck driver because he would always call me from a noisy place and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm putting together, t- can you do the 12th? Or whatever, and I would say, yes, I can, no, I can't, or whatever, and I would put it on there. But I remember feeling really intimidated, like I, me, and this person are going to take a, a recovery meeting into a facility like that we somehow know what's going on. I didn't feel like I knew what was going on. And, and that same thing, I don't want to. Oh, that's going to take time. Oh, it's at 4 o'clock. You know, that's about when I want to be heading home. You know, all these excuses for doing it, but you know, in, in the interest of suit up and show up, I would say yes. And because I said, yes, I'm not going to bail, you know, I'm going to do what I said I would do. And I would show up and it was the easiest thing in the world. There was a plastic box in the box was a laminated piece of paper. You begin at the top, you know, you read it down. It was not hard uh, to do. And there were certain questions, you know, does anyone want to share about this or about that? And you're, and we're in a detox ward. I've been in a detox. I have been in attendance at a recovery meeting in a detox ward when I was the one in the detox. This is not a fun place to be. Uh, I, I am not going back there. I don't know anyone who would want to. But to then be able to walk in and say, just by just showing up and reading what's on the laminated piece of paper – is genuinely helpful. I could see it in these people's eyes. This this means a lot. This is important, what we're doing here. And so when I would then walk out after that, and another great thing was I learned a lot about the person I went with because we would each kind of tell the quick verse, you know, five minutes on our own path. And I would learn things about someone I'd been around that I didn't know because I never heard them uh, sit and share uh, what their path was like. And so anytime we'd walk out of there, I felt, you know, wonderful, light, lighter than air uh, because of the privilege and the honor of being able to participate in the, the recovery process. I don't know where it started. I don't know where it's going, but I know that we were all helpful to one another in different ways all at the same time. All I had to do was show up. You know, th- that's a pow- that was a powerful lesson in community and in service for me that, that really, you know, it kind of impacted me uh, very strongly. I, I believe that I built on that, you know, over time. For me, one of the things that happened was that um, as I became more comfortable in my own skin and was able to drop some of the resistance to these suggestions and these these thoughts about what what's next and what was needed and that kind of thing, I began to become a um, comfortable with what is. You know, when I first walked in the rooms, I wanted to I wanted to have a prediction. I wanted to know this is how it was going to go and anything out of that ordinary, it it really set off my alarm bells because now, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen next. You know, but um, I got to a point where I was able to handle things kind of on the fly if it if it didn't turn and the meeting leader didn't show up. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Well, (laughs) guess what? I can I can read, you know, and and somebody said, why don't you read this, you know? And so I started learning to be more comfortable with just what is instead of having to orchestrate it, manipulate it, schedule it, scheme it, et cetera, which put a lot more um, uh, peace in my life, 
you know, I, I could have a level of confidence. They talk about uh, serenity and confidence in the future, you know, that I don't have to have the answers for every every scenario my brain might make up about what could happen here if I say yes to this, which is kind of where I had been before in my life. That sounds a lot like what we might call trusting the spirit, you know, yeah. not, not <laughs> having to have it all figured out ahead of time. Cause I, I'm very much the same way where, uh, in the past I would only really be comfortable if I felt like to emphasize that if I felt like I knew what was going on and how things worked. And if I didn't feel like I knew what was going on, how things worked, therefore, you know, where all this is going, um, that was intensely uncomfortable for me. And, um, like you're sharing, uh, over time, able to um, just be a lot more relaxed about life in general and everything. And, and a recovery uh, group, home group, is a great place to do that because everything is fairly straightforward and simple. And yes, if someone doesn't show up, guess what? Any number of us could do it also. Oh, it's it's such and such a time and no one has started making the coffee. Uh, I could say, who's supposed to make the coffee? Who cares? I'm going to make it right now because it's time for the coffee to be made. Um, I, I, I've been, it, it's been important to me. So building on that story of taking a meeting into the detox, which I, you know, was doing in like year two and three of my uh, recovery path. So, you know, it feels like early on to, to turn that into, uh, you know, generally finding opportunities uh, in, in service roles, again, you know, corralling people to empower other people and to create a, um, I think of it as a container, you know, an environment, just like a just like a twelve step meeting and group is an it's a healing container that has certain parameters and and it and it is a place that people can go and be who they are, uh, work through whatever we need to work through, grow in whatever ways uh, we need to grow. Uh, usually, okay, sometimes not so pretty, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we've all been there, and so that concept of creating a healing space. So that people, not so that I am doing anything to people, I am simply creating the environment and inviting people to come in it. And whatever happens in there, that's not me. You know, that's something much deeper, bigger, whatever. It's none of my business how all that works. But um, I love being able to do that. And that's how I see church ministry, uh, by the way. And it's, it's really derived directly out of the service experiences that I first got in a 12-step environment. Yeah, the concept of a group conscience, as in, you know, it's, it's all the, the combined consciousness of the people present that guides the group was, was really another aspect that uh, was unique to this uh, cocoon of safety that I felt because I had relationships with each of these individuals. I felt comfortable with them. Um, you know, I, I learned to trust that the boat wasn't going to tip over just because somebody had a dissenting opinion, you know, and I learned to have uh, authentic disagreements, and yet we were all still friends, um, you know, and, and so those kind of things were, were really helpful. But, you know, one of the, thing, one of the other tools that I used was, was prayer and meditation, by the time I started participating in group conscience meetings, um, I was I had had worked through the steps, and I was I'm going to say sitting on step eleven, because I had never felt really connected as people talk about feeling connected, 
And I'd go to 11th step meetings and we'd sit in silence for 15 minutes and then, you know, there'd be all this sharing and what have you. But I had to learn how to tune into my own intuition. I had shut it down in favor of um, intellectual logic. Mm-hmm. You know, it talks about that in the program. It talks about how logic is great stuff. We love it too much, you know, <laughs> and I, I had done that. And so, you know, that was a tool that I, I learned to, to, to tune into was especially the meditation part. You know, um, at that point in my journey, I was still um, doing a lot of beseeching, you know, in terms of prayer. But as far as the meditation part, I learned that I started getting answers when I started spending time with myself, with my higher power, as I understood my higher power in a, medita- in a meditative practice. You know, as I consider um, these sort of three principles that we're talking about, um, uh, anonymity and humility and service, uh, and we did early in the, in the program here ask uh, or uh, float the question, so what, what happens if I, when I do these things? Why am I doing this? So what what hap- what is my how does my life experience change and it's changed a great deal and so I wanted to share just a couple things that I have noticed uh, if you know I got to jump some years here so if I look years back till what is my life like now um, little things that to me are very important I sleep better at night I literally sleep better at night because I'm not carrying the kinds of worry and concern that I used to carry uh, because I have been on this recovery path and through um, practicing these spiritual principles, anonymity and and the, and the humility that naturally develops from it and the service that helps support that development, I sleep better at night. I have far less worry and anxiety than I used to. I used to have a kind of generalized, what we might call generalized anxiety disorder. It was never a diagnosis, but when I heard that, I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. It's like I'm just nervous for no apparent reason a lot of the time. Right. And all of that has slowly faded away. So that's the when we talk about serenity. Okay, that's nice. What exactly does that look like? Well, it it looks like I'm literally uh, feel more comfortable, less worry and anxiety, and I sleep better at night. I mean, these are some of the, you know, we talk about gifts of the spirit, gifts of the program. These are some of the concrete ways that they've shown up in my life. And I'm very grateful for all that. Along those same lines, one of the things that showed up for me is that I can stay present in the moment. I didn't realize for many years in the program how much I lived in the future. You know, I, I would be someplace at the moment and I'd be going, well, uh, what are we doing next week? Well, what, what's the next party? Well, where do I have to go next? And, you know, I was never fully present where my feet are. You know, I was I was always thinking ahead. And, and when I was on a vacation, I'd be planning the next vacation, you know, that kind of a thing. And so, you know, one of the things that has made my quality of life better is to be able to be fully present in the moment at any given time with what's going on in my life instead of always escaping mentally into the future, which, as we know, is what engenders fear and that generalized anxiety. Oh, my gosh, what if, you know, because that's fear, future events appearing real, you know, and that's where I like to live. And so, um, you know, the, the peace and the serenity that I talk about is the lack of fear, that type of fear. Absolutely. And, and that, you know, just that alone to me is worth uh, the price of admission, so to speak. 
And just the idea that just in general in the world, things go better for me because of the ways that I show up in the world. It could be interacting with, you know, salespeople, waitstaff, anybody out in the world, strangers. Hey, do you know where this is? Hey, do you have the time? You know, every, every single aspect of it. But let us now shift gears and move into action. As Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from that experience of terminal uniqueness to serenity using anonymity and service. So think of a way that you might see yourself as special or better than others. Do you think that the rules at work or church really don't apply to you? Is there a way that you feel like others maybe should be doing more for you? Or perhaps you feel at odds with the world and you don't really know why. What's important is to pick one thing, preferably something simple, to focus on in this exercise. The idea is to relax and let this be easy and that you can take this, what you learn here today, into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of feeling like people should be doing more for me and not vice versa. Use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to that sense of separation that comes with terminal uniqueness. You could say something like, the idea that I am self-sufficient and alone in the world no longer serves me. Repeat it a few times in your head or aloud, but say it with conviction. That idea that I am self-sufficient and alone in the world no longer serves me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, I am a unique expression of God, and I express that by the way I serve and support others in my life. Then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Again, the idea that I am self-sufficient and alone in the world no longer serves me. I am a unique expression of God, and I express that by the way I serve and support others in my life. So we've come to the end of our time together here today, and we hope you found something that can help you on your recovery path. And thank you, everybody, that tuned in today. And so much, Dan, thanks for all the insights that were shared in our discussion today. We bless you on your recovery journey, and we hope that you will join us again soon. And listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. Until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Liz Winter, and I have been a medium and a spiritual development teacher for over 30 years. On my podcast, All Aboard the Medium Ship, I want to share the message with you that there is a wealth of love and comfort available to you from the spirit world. On my podcast, you can experience this comfort and peace for yourself through gentle guided meditations and helpful messages. Make sure you subscribe and follow so you never miss an episode. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network.